Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. I hope that you're okay today. I know that you're working on an hour less sleep than normal, right? If you're Aaron Smith, you're working on two hours less sleep than normal. Aaron decided he would manually set his iPhone forward, and then his iPhone automatically set his iPhone forward. I'm usually the first one here in the morning. When I got here this morning, Aaron was already here and had evidently been here for an hour. So he'll take a good nap this afternoon. I hope you're okay. Um, I, know, I know it's been a rough 11 days. Um, a lot has gone on, a lot of really good things. I want you to know I'm proud of you. As your pastor, I'm proud of you and the way you have worked and the way you have served and the way you have loved people uh, who are in need. Um, you have uh, shown the light of Christ clearly, uh, boldly, and I'm proud of you uh, for that. Last week in here was incredible. Um, I, I hope that that will serve as a defining moment in the history of First Baptist Church. I hope that we won't go back to business as usual. I hope that this uh, tragedy that has happened in Harrisburg will mark an awakening in Harrisburg that we will look back to, that our children and grandchildren will look back to and say something changed. Something changed in this town uh, because of the events that took place on that day. Um, I think that in order to maintain that, I think part of what made last week so special was uh, the, the, the weakness that we recognized in ourselves, uh, the brokenness and humility that we had to have last week, right? I think, I think what made a big difference was our, our neediness as we came before God and our complete and total dependence on Him. Um, and that's, that's where an encounter with God happens, right? Uh, we encounter Him not when we come to Him puffed up and strong and self-sufficient and self-reliant. An encounter with God comes when we come to Him broken and needy and begging for His help and His presence. And He meets with us in those times. And so don't, don't become ever self-reliant and self-sufficient. Let's maintain this needy posture because He is glorified uh, in that. Um, the point last week uh, when we talked about love in 1 Corinthians was that... This kind of love that's spoken of in chapter 13, this agape love that self-sacrifices for the one who is unworthy, it basically is the gospel. This concept of love where there is one object who is completely unworthy of any um, uh, goodwill uh, and one who is uh, amazing and wonderful looks at that one and not only loves but gives and sacrifices itself uh, for the one who is unworthy. That, that is the gospel. That kind of love is the gospel. And we talked about that, and we have had countless opportunities uh, to demonstrate that gospel and to flesh out that kind of love, uh, whether it's at the Mad Pricer building or whether it's on a chainsaw crew or whether it's driving a truck full of debris or whether it's serving hot meals at the Methodist church. There have been countless opportunities to demonstrate that love, and that is our mission, to demonstrate that love and to express that love, to articulate that love, in the words of hope, the words of the gospel, the words of life in Jesus Christ, that we are sinners and deserve nothing but wrath because of our sin. And yet he loves us, loves us so much that he came to die for us, to step in our place, to take our sin, to take our punishment, to take the death that we so uh, rightfully deserve. And he took it for us and they laid him in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again, and he conquered death. Aaron was right. He didn't just beat it that one time. He didn't just, he didn't just rise for himself. He conquered death so that we might live in that victory, and he offers that victory to us by grace through faith in him, right? And so last week we talked about how this kind of love, 
this agape kind of love, self-sacrificing for the one who does not deserve it, is the gospel. And then we said the gospel is our mission. And you guys are doing good carrying out the mission. But I don't think, I don't think we would be so bold as to say mission accomplished at this point, right? In fact, I don't think we will say that until Christ comes back and he will say it. He will be the one to declare mission accomplished. And we look forward to that day. Amen? It's been a busy week. Uh, for all of us, it's been a busy week, and, and to be honest, I haven't had a ton of time to prepare. I said this last week, I know, and one of my best friends said, Chris, I think you do better when you don't prepare. <laughs> and and I, I, said, I said, I don't know if I, if, that, if I should say thank you to that or not. Um, <laughs> but I was meeting with a guy, uh, I think it was Friday, talking with a guy, and he said, I need you to come to this meeting at 4 o'clock. And I said, man, I'm trying to get back to my office because I need to prepare a sermon. And we were at the, we were at the Mad Pricer building when, when this conversation happened. And, and he said, oh, just look around. There are a million sermons in here. There are a million sermons in here. And I was like, you know what? I get what you're saying, but I don't think there are a million sermons in here. I think there are a million talks in here. And God has not called me to talk. God, God has not called me to give you a pep talk and tell you a story and, and just talk to you. God has called me to preach his word. And it would be completely arrogant of me to stand before you today and do anything but that. He has arranged our study. He has arranged his word. He has provided his word at just the right time and just the right place. And so for me to step back and say, oh, there are a million sermons in this room. Oh, there are a million sermons in Harrisburg. And neglect his word would be foolish. And I'm not going to do that. We are going to preach his word because we need his word. We don't just need another talk. Does that make sense? I hope you're with me on that. I really hope you're behind me on that because when I was trying to explain this to the fellow that I was talking to, I said, I said, these are talks. There's a difference between a talk and a preach, as my kids would say. There's a difference between a talk and a preach. And I'm here to preach. And I said, and I think my church prioritizes the preaching over the talking. And I really hope you're with me on that because we don't just want to talk, we want to preach. So turn your, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll preach. We'll preach about love. And the way we'll do this today is we're going to look at verses 4 to 7 and the description of this agape love, of this God-like love, this gospel love. And uh, we're going to find out what it looks like. So what we'll do, three parts of today. Number one, I will tell you what these words mean. What does it mean that love is patient? What does it mean that love is kind? I'll explain to you what those things mean. Then part number two is we'll look at how God perfectly absolutely perfectly demonstrates that because after all god is love right and so the perfect manifestation of this kind of love comes from him and we are so thankful for it so we'll talk about what it means then we'll talk about how god perfectly displays that love demonstrates that love and then the last thing we'll do is say this is how we demonstrate that love because there are certain attributes of god that we cannot demonstrate right there are certain attributes of god that are incommunicable they they don't translate to us we don't we don't follow him in those kind of things like his omniscience or his omnipresence um, or his sovereignty we don't share in those things right we are not all-knowing and all-powerful or or sovereign in control of everything we don't share those attributes with him but there are certain attributes of god that he has called us to follow him in he has given to us to demonstrate to the world and love is one of those Does that make sense to you so, so we, don't, we don't strive to be omnipotent or omniscient, but we do strive to be loving. And he has called us to love. He has told us that he is love, and he has shown us his love, and he has called us to love. Does that make sense to you? So there's, a, there's an element of responsibility upon us at the end of today to love as he loves. Uh, so check it out. Chapter 13, verse 4, starting in, starting in verse 4. Yeah, going through verse 7. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. 
and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are love, that you do love. Thank you for the greatest demonstration of that love in Jesus Christ who came to die for our sins and rise again, who came to reconcile us to you by grace through faith. I thank you for that gospel, and I pray that we will preach it and demonstrate it, especially in the coming days in Harrisburg, as doors are wide open for the proclamation and demonstration of your love. God, show us that true love Agape love is selfless, not selfish. God, may we be like you, ready to give and sacrifice ourselves for the people around us, whether they deserve it or not. God, help us to follow you in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, the, the first thing that you really need to understand about this text is that the words that, that are found here are not adjectives. Um, it's, it's a strange thing, and it's hard to translate, but when it says love is patient, it really isn't like, it's not, a, it's not so much a description of love, like, like, like if it were to say love is green, right? Or, or love is soft. Those would be adjectives that describe love. These are not adjectives. These are verbs. These words that follow love are verbs. In other words, it's saying this is what love does. This is what love does. Love is active, and love does patience. Does that make sense to you at all? So it's not as if we just describe love in these ways. This is what love looks like. This is how it, how it works. And it just doesn't translate well into English to say love, patience. Love, kinds. Right? That doesn't make any sense at all. So we have to add that is to show that, that there is some action to all of this. But you need to see that these are verbs and not adjectives. So, in other words, the first lesson is that love is not something we feel. It is not something that is just out there, nebulous, hard to put our hands on. Love is very much in action. Love is very much uh, moving forward. It is very much in demonstration all the time. It's not a feeling. It is an action. It is a commitment. And first thing he tells us is that love is patient. This idea of being patient is the opposite of being short-tempered, right? It is the opposite of being short-tempered, and it has mainly to do, the word that's used here has mainly to do with people and not circumstances. It's not as if love is patient with the external circumstances. It's not as if love uh, gets behind a train and says, okay, I will wait here patiently. No, this has to do particularly with people. And we know, we know ultimately that God is patient with people, right? And we see this all throughout the scriptures, do we not? How many of you uh, uh, kind of got, man, this is going to be hard to say, kind of got tired of, of that in Sunday school last quarter when we see God's people stray and God disciplines them and brings them back and then they stray and then he disciplines them and they bring, he brings them back. Why doesn't he just wipe them out, right? He knows what's coming. He knows the pattern. Why doesn't he just wipe them out? Well, it's because love is patient, right? It's love is patient and we are so thankful for his patience, are we not? Because I am just like them, and he should just wipe me out, right? Just get rid of me, but he's patient. He's patient. He's not short-tempered. He is patient, especially with people, and we must learn. We must learn to be patient with people, and we've had 
We've had our opportunities to do that this week, right? Uh, if, if you've been around helping, uh, you know that folks are tired, uh, that folks are grumpy, right? And it's easy to get short-tempered and, and uh, quick and short, uh, but, but we need to exercise patience, right? God has called us to be patient, not just with circumstances, not just with waiting in lines, but with people. Rather than be quick-tempered, we are called to patience, and God ultimately is patience. The next word tells us that love is kind. And this is a very interesting word in the New Testament. In fact, it's only used here in its verb form. It's used in other places in an adjectival form, but here it's used only in a verb form. And it means that, that love reacts with goodness to those who treat it poorly. That's what the word means. That, and it's just like love, right? It's just like all that we've been talking about, that love reacts with kindness, with goodwill toward the one who treats it poorly. And hasn't God done that with us? Isn't this exactly the gospel? You're going to see this is going to get redundant because all of these things are all that we talked about last week when we talked about what love is. That God is the one who looks with goodwill toward the one who has treated him so poorly. Have any of you honored God from your birth? Any of you uh, out of the womb praising God, glorifying him, following him, and obeying him? Anybody want to say that? No. How did you come out of the womb? Rebellious crying. Somebody said crying rebellious and sinful and blaspheming, right? That's how we're born. That is our nature before he comes along and changes things, right? And yet he looks at us, even in that rebellious and blasphemous form, and he loves us and he provides goodwill to us, right? Even before, even before we come to faith in Christ, he provides us goodwill, right? Gives us air to breathe, right? A chest to breathe it, as Lecrae would say. He gives us all of these things, not just to those who believe in him, but to all mankind. He expresses goodwill even to those who do not, who do not believe in him. So love is patient, and love is kind. It gives itself in kindness toward others. Next it says that love is not jealous. That means that love is not displeased with the success of others. This word jealousy is used very positively in some senses in the New Testament and in the Bible in general. It says that God is jealous, right? That God is jealous. God is jealous for his own glory because he's at the top and he alone can do that, right? The idea here, though, is this negative sense of jealousy where I look, I look at Caleb and I say, great things are happening in Caleb's life, right? Great things are happening. He is rocking and rolling. He's going to school. Things are going great. Uh, his future's so bright. He's got to wear shades, right? And, 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 and love... Love doesn't get jealous of that and think, oh, I can't stand it that things are going so well because look at my life and it's so hard and it's so difficult and things are getting so, so tough. And, and I hate Caleb because things are going so well for him. Is that what love looks like? No, love doesn't get jealous of Caleb and his success and the blessings that are in his life. Love rejoices in that for Caleb, right? Love says, this is fantastic. And, and yeah, my life may stink, but I'm not mad at him because of that. I'm not mad at him because of that. I'm going to rejoice over that. And hasn't God done that for us? Doesn't God rejoice? Doesn't God rejoice in, in good things in our life? Do you think God ever looks at us and says, Oh, I can't believe it's going so well for him? It doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't even make any sense. And, and as we live in love, we should not be jealous of other people. We should not be jealous of their well-being. Rather, we should rejoice in it. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous. And then he says, it does not brag. And the root word that is used here for brag is often defined as a windbag. <laughs> so this little root word that it's, that's at the middle of this Greek word means windbag. What's that mean? It just talks, right? 
Love doesn't brag. Love doesn't just talk and, 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 and a bunch of hot air. That's not what love is. And these two are linked when it says it does not brag and it is not arrogant. There are lots of manifestations of pride. There are lots of manifestations of pride. Bragging and arrogance, all of these are manifestations of pride. And love is incompatible with all of it, right? Love is not seeking, love is not seeking to assert itself. Love is constantly seeking to give itself. And so there's no room for arrogance, there's no room for boasting, there's no room for hot air, there's no room for any kind of that, because love is not about us. It's about others. And hasn't God done that for us? Right? Hasn't he completely given himself for us? Hasn't he completely poured out himself for us that Christ was willing, Christ was willing to take on uh, flesh? And not only flesh, but even a slave? And not only take death, but the death of a criminal for us? That's not asserting itself, that's giving itself for others. And we must do that also. And you are. You are. I want to say, way to go, boy, First Baptist Church, you're doing it. You're sacrificing, you're giving of your time and your energy. I, I heard a story, one of these million stories from the uh, Mad Pricer building about this little bag full of stuff. And there was a note in it that said it was from a lady who didn't have very much. And she spent, I think it said she spent her last $20 on some toiletries that were in this small bag. And I'm talking, we're getting crates and semi-trucks full of stuff, right? Uh, there is stuff, stuff galore. And there's this one little bag from this one little lady who said, I only had $20 to spare this month, and I went to Walmart, and this is what I was able to buy with that $20. That's love, right? That is love. And Jesus honors that kind of love in the Gospels, does he not? Somebody comes and gives a whole bunch out of their surplus, and the little lady gives two mites, all that she has. And he honors her and not the one who gave so much. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that kind of love that gives itself. It is not arrogant. It does not assert itself. It gives itself. The next thing it says, love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant. And then it says it does not act unbecomingly. That's a word that we don't use very often, uh, but, but probably my, my most vivid understanding of this word uh, comes from military courts, right? Uh, they, can, they can charge uh, military uh, soldiers with conduct unbecoming, Right? Uh, and we see this, I, I remember it, from a, a few good men. Those soldiers were charged with conduct unbecoming a Marine. In other words, it wasn't a real specific action. It was just something that was out of bounds. It was something that was out of bounds because there's a certain conduct that is expected. There's a certain order. There's a certain lifestyle that is expected. And when you step outside of that, you get yourself in trouble. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is not a real specific charge. This, is, this says uh, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not act unbecomingly. It's a very general term with a wide meaning. It means to avoid the whole range of unseemliness. It means to not step out of bounds in any kind of way. Love keeps the order. And God has done this, right? When we read in the scriptures, we never see God step out of bounds, do we? We never see God act unbecomingly, do we? We never see God act uh, in, contra in contradiction to his character or his will or the order that he has set up, right? In fact, God cannot do that. There are very few things that God cannot do, and one is act unbecomingly, right? Because he sets the rules, and so everything he does is according to the rules. So he's called us to not step out of bounds, not to fly off the handle, not to step aside and get out of the range that he has given to us. He says, love does not act unbecomingly. Next thing he says is that it does not seek its own. Self-centeredness is the very opposite of love. And I think that's the theme. 
That's the consistent theme in all of these descriptions of love, in all of these demonstrations of love. The one constant is selflessness, right? It does not seek its own. Love from God does not seek its own. He gave himself for us, right? Now, ultimately, it's for his glory. We're not going to go there today. But all throughout John's gospel, Jesus talks about his death. He talks about his sacrifice, and he says it's for us, for us, for us. In fact, you should do that sometime. Read through the gospel of John and underline every time he says, for you, for you, for you. He is giving himself for us. He does not seek its own. Self-centeredness is the very opposite of love. The next thing it says is that love is not provoked. Love is not provoked to anger. Now, this is difficult because there are times in the Gospels where we see Jesus get angry, right? The question is, why does Jesus get angry? When Jesus goes into the temple, why does he get so angry? Because, because his rights have been infringed upon? Because someone has treated him poorly? No, because truth, truth has been contradicted. Principles have been contradicted. And he is outraged because of the behavior that contradicts the truth. When we see Jesus offended personally, how does he respond? When Jesus is beaten and mocked, when they pluck his beard out and put a crown of thorns on his head and beat it into his skull with a staff, how does he respond? With silence. With silence. So it's not seeking its own. It's not about the self. Love is not provoked to anger when its rights are infringed upon. In fact, love is willing to lay down our rights for the good of others. Now, that should sound familiar. That should sound familiar to us in our study of 1 Corinthians because that's exactly what Paul said when it comes to our rights. He said, you may have a right to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but you need to lay down that right of yours for the sake of your love for the brethren, right? You remember this? So love is not provoked. Love is not provoked when it is done wrong. Rather, love takes the wrong. Love is willing to take a beating for the good of someone else. That's what it looks like. That's what God has done for us, and that's what we have been called to do for others. It says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, and then this one kills me every time. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Somebody in the choir just said hallelujah for that. The word that's translated here is a word that's used very positively in the New Testament uh, of reckoning. It talks about Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So most of the time when this word is used, it's in a very positive sense of Christ's righteousness being credited to us. But here it's used in a negative sense of keeping track. It's, a, it's an accounting term. It's someone who's keeping the books. And we are thankful that God keeps the books and he puts Christ under our line, right? He puts Christ's righteousness under our account and he credits that to us. But we don't work the same way oftentimes. In fact, the way we keep the book is last week, Laura was mad at me. Last week, Laura didn't smile at me. Yesterday, Laura yelled at me. She never does any of these things. You realize this is pure fiction, right? <laughs> Last week, Laura told me I could fix my own supper. <laughs> we keep a list, right? We're pretty good at taking into account at reckoning wrong suffered, and we keep a list, and then we will hold that list over people. It's not what love looks like. That is certainly not what God's love looks like. 
Do you think he is up there keeping a list of everything that we have done? Yesterday, Chris had a terrible attitude. Yesterday, Chris was lazy. Yesterday, Chris snapped at someone because he's tired. Yesterday, Chris, yada, yada, yada. Is that the way God works? No, Scripture tells us that he takes our sin and he removes it, and he he remembers it no more. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. God doesn't keep that list. I think that's why someone in the choir said hallelujah for this one. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And I think that the reason why I said this one gets me every time is because I'm good at keeping lists. I'm really good at keeping lists. And I think all of us, when we look at these attributes of love, when we look at these uh, descriptions of love, one of them will get us. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's kindness. But one of these is going to get us right here and say, you do not love like this. Thankfully, none of these gets God where, where we could say he does not love like this because he demonstrates all of these perfectly. I love that it says, love keeps no records, no account of a wrong suffered. Next it says, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In America, we have an entire industry built on rejoicing in unrighteousness, don't we? Have you checked out at Walmart or the grocery store lately? Those magazines on the aisle? An entire industry rejoicing in the unrighteousness of other people. Gossip magazines, rags, talking about all the stuff that people are doing. And we enjoy it. We eat it up. It's a big industry, right? That's not very loving. When we as Christians hear that someone has done something wrong, when we hear of the unrighteousness in someone else's life, what should our reaction be? Oh, I knew it. I just knew they were like that deep down inside. Oh, I knew it. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Should that be our reaction? No, our reaction should be brokenness. Our reaction should be brokenness because that's how God reacts to unrighteousness, right? There's a principle that we're going to see in a minute that we should learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. That when we hear of unrighteousness, it should break us. And when we hear the truth, we should rejoice. Too many of us have that backwards. We live in a world that has all of this backwards. Next, he says, Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. Generally, with the Word of God, love rejoices in the truth of the Word of God. Specifically, love rejoices in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must do the same thing. And then these last ones are fantastic. It says, Love bears all things. Some people believe that that word that's translated as bear means to cover or hide. And I like that because I believe that God does that with us, right? God doesn't drag us in our mess out in front of the world for the world to see and say, look, look what Chris is, look what Chris has done. No, God covers that, right? He covers it up and he hides it. But more than that, he endures it. He bears it. He bears it with me. He takes it and he takes it away. Love bears all things. And so when we deal with people, we shouldn't be dragging their garbage out into the street for everyone to see. We should cover them up and we should help them. We should put them on our shoulders and assist them as they go through life and struggle through life. Love bears all things. It doesn't give away easily. Next it says that love believes all things. It doesn't mean that love is gullible or falls for any old trick, but love is ready to believe the best about other people. This one gets me too. This one gets me too. Because a lot of times I hear something and, and, and I'm, I'm quick to assume the worst. Quick to assume the worst about a situation or a person. And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. In fact, love assumes the best. Hopes the best. We'll see that in a minute. 
Love believes all things. It is not gullible, but ready to believe the best in others. It gives the benefit of the doubt rather than assuming the worst. And God has done this for us. God has done this for us, and he has sent his son to die for the worst in us. Next it says that he, it love hopes all things. This is a very forward look. This is not just wrapped up in the here and now. This is looking forward, ultimately, to Christ's return. And then the last one is this, and I think this is where we are at today. It says love endures all things. Love endures all things. And the picture behind this word is a soldier. A soldier who is in the battle and being absolutely overwhelmed, and he never gives up. He never quits. He never packs it in and goes home. He knows that it's an important battle, and he is willing to handle anything. And that's where we are. I think that's where Harrisburg is. I think there are times, there have been times in the last 11 days that I have been ready to say, forget it. I've got to get out of here. I can't handle this anymore. I'm giving up. That's not what love does, right? It's not what God does. When it's difficult for the church, when it's difficult for his people, does he run away from us? No, he stays. And he bears. And he endures. And he never fails. We'll look at that next time. And we've got to love that way too. There are days coming in Harrisburg that are going to be very difficult. We have had some difficult days in the last few weeks. There are days coming that are going to be more difficult than that. As homes start going back together, rebuilding, it's going to be difficult. There are going to be needs that we can't even anticipate at this point. And I'm telling you, church, we can't give up. Everyone else may. That's what we need to be ready for. Everyone else that is so good-willed at this point, everyone else that is so giving at this point, may give up. We cannot. We cannot give up. We cannot quit helping. We cannot quit assisting. We cannot quit loving because we are called to love. God doesn't quit on us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't walk away from us. And we are called to demonstrate that kind of love to the world around us. Three applications a day and then we're done. Number one is that God is love. This is, a, this is a clear teaching throughout the Bible, that God is love. That all of what we have learned about love is not above God, and He works under its instruction. Rather, God is above love, and love is because of what God is. Love flows from God. God is love. Right? So when we have questions about what does love look like, we look to Him. We look to the Gospel. We look to His love for the church, and we demonstrate that. Number one, God is love. Number two is the same application from last week. Love is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. When we sacrifice ourselves for those who are undeserving, when we are patient and kind and not jealous and not bragging and not arrogant and not acting unbecomingly, that's the Gospel. Because that's what God has done for us, ultimately, in Christ. And then lastly, the gospel is our mission. The gospel has changed us, right? For many of us in this room, the gospel has changed us radically. And put us on a mission to preach and demonstrate that kind of love that was given to us through other folks. And I'm telling you, the doors are wide open, right? You're seeing that, aren't you? You're seeing that people are ready to hear. They're ready to accept. They're ready to believe. Show them. Show them love. Show them the gospel. Preach to them the gospel. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are love. 
that we know what love is because we know who you are. I thank you that, that love flows from you. There's not some standard that is above you, but you are the standard. I thank you not only that you are love, but that you do love. That you demonstrate love. And God, we know that you have demonstrated that love most clearly in sending your Son to die for us. We recognize with all humility and brokenness that we do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve your love. All we deserve from you is wrath and punishment because we are sinners, blasphemers, transgressors. We deserve only death and separation from you. And yet, you love us. And you came for us. And Christ took our place as our substitute, took our sin upon himself, suffered the wrath that we deserve. He died our death. And he beat it. Conquered death, conquered sin, conquered hell, and he offers us the victory that is his offers us reconciliation and forgiveness of sins by grace through faith, a gift that comes through believing. God, I pray that our response to that good news will be repentance and faith, that we will believe, that we will trust, that we will depend on your grace and your goodness and your love. And God, I pray for those who do, that we will be busy to share that love, to share that gospel to communicate that grace to the world that desperately needs it. God, thank you for this moment in Harrisburg, for this window of opportunity in Harrisburg to preach, to love, to serve, to give, to sacrifice, just as you have for us. God, use us. Use us to bring glory to your name and people to your kingdom, all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.